Hey everyone, thanks for taking time to listen to our latest sermon. A sermon about the life of a king named David and the truths we can take from it on living a meaningful life ourselves. Before it plays, I want to update you on two things. First, we have built a new website to serve as a central hub for our church. The site is creekside.me and on it you can subscribe to our newsletter, sign up for an event, donate money, and even let us know how God has used this sermon to impact you. The other thing that I want to let you know about is that our sermon videos are now available on our website. If you'd rather watch this sermon than listen to it, just visit wilsonville.church David. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Have you ever tried to take a walk with a little kid? It's horrible. It's terrible. We used to get places. Now we walk. We never get anywhere. So you say like, Hazel, that's my daughter. Hazel, we are going to go swing. And that's awesome. She loves swinging. She would swing for, I think, hours probably if you'd let her. Uh, and, and then you start walking and tree and broken light post, and leaf, and another tree, and another tree, and another tree, and let me touch that one, Daddy, let me touch that tree, and it's like, okay, I can't lift you up anymore, my arms are shaking, and you just get stuck trying to get to your destination, when really, I think the destination would be better, even in her mind, but you can get distracted along the way, and I think that we are like this in our lives. We're doing this series on living a life of impact, living a a more meaningful, more impactful life, a life that will hopefully outlive us, a life that is important not just to us, not even just to our kids and our spouse, but to, to more people, a life that impacts the world in some way. And I think that one of the biggest hang-ups is that at some point, if we're shooting for impact, it's easy for us to get sidetracked and to do, in fact, the very opposite thing of what leads us towards our destination or towards the impact that we desire. And uh, this is true in, in like business and uh, true in, in all walks of life. But I think it's especially true uh, for Christians and for the lives that we who follow Jesus want to live. But I see it in all kind of areas. In fact, I listened to this podcast, which I could not recommend a podcast more, I don't think. Uh, it's called How I Built This, and it's a show about entrepreneurs, idealists, visionists, and the stories behind the movements they built. That's how they open it every time. Uh, and it's really just about people that have built companies that we know now, but it's the stories of how they got there, like Instagram. How did those guys become Instagram, you know, or Bar? which is a workout thing with a, with a bar. Um, I don't know, I had to do my leg when I did that, but, uh, but I had never heard of that one, so less famous. Um, that's the one I most recently listened to. Or the guy that started Southwest Airlines. I mean, and, and here's what's, what's so interesting about these people, and I hear their stories, and there's a lot of twists and turns, but the truth in almost every single one of these people Uh, that this is my identifying, like this is what has led these people to be successful, they are unwilling 
to take any detour from the ultimate goal. For a lot of them, that's just like, I have an idea. This is pretty much most of them. I have an idea. I think it's awesome, even if it's just not that awesome in most people's minds. But I think it's awesome, and I will not quit until it's as awesome as it can be, and, it, and it's in as many people's hands as it can possibly be in. It doesn't matter if I can make a quick dollar. It doesn't matter if I can, I can you know, uh, take a shortcut to the top. It's going to be absolutely the best that it can possibly be and in accordance with my vision. As Christians, I hope that it's all of our goals to live a meaningful, impactful life, a life similar to the life of David where, where we're, we just know that we did something great for the glory of God. I hope that's every one of our goals. But we can be the worst sometimes. Yeah, I want to glorify God, but yeah, I got this other stuff going on. And we completely forget about what our true purpose is. And in fact, and this is what we're going to look at in the life of David today, we will do things that ultimately hurt our desired outcome, that hurt our purpose, that hurt our meaningfulness, that hurt our ability to make an impact in this world for the glory of God. In 1 Samuel 24, we're going to see this is all about David's character. This is all about David saying, I want one thing for my life. And, and man, it doesn't matter if it's going to make me more successful to do something else. This one thing is the most important to me, the worship and the glory of God for David. And, and it's a big part of the reason that he lives a life that would allow for us thousands and thousands of years later to talk about him and to look at his life as a model life for how we too can live a life of impact. In 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 2, we kind of get the setup. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild if you haven't been here for this series, we're kind of following this, this soap opera between Saul and David. It's not really David's fault that it's turned into a soap opera, but Saul's the king of the land. David, though, has been anointed as the future king by God. And it seems like people have come to this understanding. David is a, a mighty warrior that kills, in the words of the women at the time, his ten thousands, Why Saul is only killing his thousands. David is, is growing in his willingness and desire to live for God. Saul is slowly, slowly deteriorating in his ability and willingness to live for God, making choices that go against the will, uh, the desires of God. And so Saul comes to hate David with passion. I mean, twice in, in the story of Saul and David, he just hurls a spear at him out of nowhere. Just like, that's got to be a pretty scary deal, right? Like, that's, that's crazy. And, and I mean, he hates him. He hates him and he wants to kill him. And, and here we pick up the story and it's, it's even, to me, it's crazier than chucking a spear at somebody. Uh, he's like off fighting a battle against the real enemy. And he hears about this, you know, young man, David, where he's at. And he takes, let's just pay attention to this, 3,000 soldiers to go find David and kill him. That's about five times as many people as David even has with him. He really, really wants to kill David. He goes about 25 miles southeast of Jerusalem out to uh, an oasis that's in between kind of the cliffs of Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And he's, he's hunting David down. That's what this story is all about. So just get that in your mind. Saul hatred of David but he's currently in power David knows that someday this is key someday he's going to be king 
but right now he's just hiding in a cave. Here's what we read in verses 3 through 4. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. I mean, picture this. You're, you're out there. If you're Saul, you're hunting down David. You're looking to kill him. And you got to go number two. And you walk into a cave, not knowing what's going on in there. Uh, and and so it's, it's a crazy moment. I mean, what's the chances, right? I mean, it's not like traveling to Wilsonville. You know, you travel from Salem to Wilsonville or North Portland to Wilsonville. Clear destination. We have these clear cities. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. You are in the middle of nowhere, and you're looking for David, but you don't know where he is, and you happen into this cave to go to the bathroom. I mean, it definitely looks like God is at work. I was in, uh, not last, not this summer, but the summer before, I was in the middle of nowhere, somewhere between Phoenix and the Grand Canyon, and we stopped in the Starbucks, but it was strange because it was Starbucks like in the middle of nowhere. It, it was a weird, like, how did Starbucks end up here? I'm not joking you. Like, it was like trees, gas station, Starbucks in the middle of nowhere. And I walk in, and I'm, I see these people who look like one of my best friends in middle school's parents. And I am, I am staring at these people like, wow, that really looks like Brian and Kathy. That looks like, it can't be them. No, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. They live in Kaiser. I live in Wilsonville 20 minutes away. So I'm staring at them. I'm talking like five minutes, 10 minutes while everybody that is hanging out in the middle of nowhere is trying to get a latte. You know, I mean, I'm waiting in this line. And finally we catch enough eye contact and it's them. And, and it's like, this is impossible feeling, right? And so Saul, it's like that moment, like he's looking for David in the middle of nowhere. At least he has the direction. And he goes to go to the bathroom in this cave. And David's men are just like we would be. They're like, this is the moment, man. I mean, you've been running for your life. This guy's been chasing you down. He's an evil king that doesn't love God. You're anointed the next future king. You have a destiny. You're going to live a life of impact and purpose. And this is the moment where God has delivered this guy into your hands so that you can kill him and you can do everything that you know you are supposed to do. You can live the life that you're supposed to live. You can fulfill your destiny. We feel that, right? I'm with these guys. Like, hey, David, come on. Like, he's taking a poop in a cave that you happen to be in. Like, this is obviously the hand of God. Like, this is your moment right here. Are you serious? Just go kill him. And then this thing happens that, that just doesn't make sense when you read it without knowing kind of the heart of David from other places, the Psalms and the other stories that we've looked at. I mean, Verses 4 and 5 says, Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Okay, and then he's going to stab him, right? I mean, that's what we're looking for here. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. What? 
that doesn't make sense to me. You might think, well, David, I mean, come on, you can't kill a man. He's killed tens of thousands of people. I mean, we just looked at a story where he, where he talked a little trash, threw a little rock out of a slingshot, killed the guy, and then ran up and chopped off his head. And he liked it. You know, I mean, like, this is, this is not a guy that's not going to put a knife in somebody. He was a, a, a warrior at this point. I mean, when we saw him kill the giant, he was kind of, like, not a, a warrior yet. But now he's... he's literally been put into Saul's army to go fight the Philistines. He's killed tens of thousands of people. This is what he does. And he walks up and he kind of scissors. I don't care scissors, it's weird. Cut off a little bit of the robe and then he feels horrible guilt. That's a plot twist. That's weird. That doesn't feel like the logical progression in the story it seems like a step away from the story or out of the story or something now a couple things about the robe that you need to know like the robe at the time and in old testament literature the robe is like a really big symbolic deal and there's a couple of ideas about about what cutting the robe might symbolize in this story and and first like it, it might be a sign that david's saying i'm no longer going to submit to you because the robe was a symbol of the power and that others should submit to you. And so when David just takes the little shears out and just, he's saying, no more, man. Like, I am in charge now. But another thing that it means, at least one place in the Bible, is, is it represents a torn kingdom. And a prophet uses it in that way and says, look, like this robe is cut, you know, like this is how the kingdom of Israel will be. It will be cut in half. And, and so it could be David saying, hey. We're both in power now. I'm elevating myself to your status. So we see these kind of two things. Like David's unwilling to kill him. That seems strange. We'll see why in just a minute. If you're just saying, well, man, that's weird. I guess we're never going to know, but we'll see. But also we see that he does something that at least suggests that he's looking at Saul and he's saying, we're at least on the same page now. I could have killed you. I'm going to be king. My kingdom's here now. Something that suggests, look, I'm taking some of your power. I'm taking some of your authority. And for that, it seems, David's guilty. He's like, guilty. I'm a pretty guilty person. And so if you know that feeling of guilt, like I shouldn't have done that or whatever, like you're just guilty, like instantly. And it has to be instant because, I, I mean, doesn't say Saul was going number two forever, right? I mean, it's a pretty quick turnaround in this story. And the question becomes why. And the why in this story, why is David guilty about just cutting off a little bit of Saul's robe? When obviously it seems by all of his men who seem to be godly men, by the prophecies given about him, by the scenario in which he found himself where it seems God has put me, put him in the situation to kill Saul. All of it seems to suggest he could have killed him and all he did was cut the guy's robe. Why is he guilty? And the answer to the why, I think just it's, it's the difference maker on whether or not you and I, who choose to follow God especially, who choose to live for Jesus, whether you and I will actually live lives that have a lasting impact. And here's what we see in 6 and 7. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, 
Notice this phrase. The Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the Lord, the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the language kind of suggests that not only did he say like, hey, I won't kill him, but it seems like there, it says David sharply rebuked him. It seems like they're like, well, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do it, right? I mean, like, this is what friends are for, David. If you don't got the guts, I'm here for you, man. And David's like, no, 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 we can't do this. And it's all because he looks at Saul and he remembers that Saul is the one who has been anointed by God to be the king. He's the one that's been anointed by God to be the king. David's reluctance to kill is not because he's not going to kill somebody that's his enemy. His reluctance to kill is not because he got scared or whatever. It's not because of who Saul is. It's not because of his relationship to Saul's son, Jonathan, that we talked about last week. It's not because of who Saul is. It's because of what God has done for Saul. And David cannot separate the murder of Saul from that. And we'll return to that in a second because I want to I move the story forward before we really kind of pause on that. In 1 Samuel 24, 8 through 16, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this, the piece of robe in your hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom is the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be your judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. It's an interesting idea here because David actually says, God has delivered you to me. Isn't that weird language? And I actually, I wrestled with this and anything I read, nobody wanted to seem, seem to want to answer the question like, did God actually deliver Saul? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because if he did, then wouldn't David have had the right to kill him? Did he actually deliver Saul? And I don't have an answer for you. I don't know the answer to the question. But what I do know is that David falls back on what he knows to be the will of God. You see, David wants nothing more in his life. And this is so clear. We talked about this in the story of David and Goliath, how he looked at this giant. He didn't go out and kill the giant because he thought he was stronger, better, tougher than all the other soldiers. He went out to fight the giant because he's like, I can't handle this guy who is who is dishonoring the God that I love and that I want to glorify in my life. I can't do it. I just can't. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this. I will go out there and fight him because I want to see God glorified. 
I mean, when you see the Psalms, I, I just, we're going to study the Psalms in the next sermon series. I'm super excited about that. But like when you study those, David says these incredible things like, like God don't kill me. Okay. Why? Why? Why don't you want God to kill you? Why don't you want God to let you die, David? Oh, because I can't worship him from the grave. Not like because it hurts to die. Not because I don't want to be sick anymore. Not because like I'm scared of death. But, but God, like how am I going to go into your temple and praise you if I'm, you know, in the grave? And here in this story, we see this moment like, I don't know. God, if you've delivered this person into my hands. But what I do know is that you made him king. And I want to glorify, honor, worship you so much that I'm going to go with what I already know. And that is that I should not harm the one that you have put into power. There's a couple of stories after that, like, where, where we, like, see the same thing. You can read, like, 2 Samuel 1, and you, you, you'll see this crazy story, like, where... Saul's about to die, and so somebody that's connected to the army, he runs him through with a knife to put him out of his misery, and he comes to David, and he says, hey, Saul's dead, good news, and David's like, who do you think you are killing the Lord's anointed, and then they put him to death. It's weird. It's a weird story. I'm glad I'm not preaching on it this morning. I would have to study a lot more this week. I mean, that's a weird story. <laughs> But it shows that David is passionate about being obedient to God. You see, here's the thing about David's impact, the impact that he wants to make with his entire life. He wants to bring glory to God. And here's a moment where it seems like it will elevate him to be able to do the very thing that he wants to do. But he knows, think about this now, he knows that in order to elevate his position that will allow him to bring more glory to God, he will have to do something that he knows is inherently against the will and the glory and the worship and the honor of God. And so he says, I won't do it. What David says is, is the ends does not justify the means. You see, I think... That in every aspect of life, we find these moments where we say, here's the end goal. Here it is. But in the short term, if I just do this little thing that doesn't seem like it's moving me towards that goal, then maybe it'll speed up the process. If I just take a little shortcut here, it'll get me where I want to be just, just a little bit quicker. It's not that bad. I mean, look, God gave me the opportunity And I think what we see in this story is that that isn't the type of person that ultimately accomplishes what they want to accomplish. And specifically and especially for those of us who are Christians, if our goal is to live a life of impact where we bring incredible worship of God, we can't go, well, God, I'll really get there if I just kind of don't glorify you right now. I know this seems like, this just kind of like makes sense, right? I mean, hey, Chad, tell us something that's important. You know, I mean, I kind of get that. But I, I just look at like the American church today. And, and you know that I love the churches in our city and there's great churches out there. And I'm quick to point other people to different churches if they're not going to fit at our church. Sounds like I don't want them here. If I can tell that we're not the best fit for their spiritual lives, I'll be like, hey, there's 
You know, there's other great churches in the city. But when I look around just culturally at what's going on in the American church, we're like, look, we want to lead people to Jesus. We want to build our churches. That seems to glorify God if there's more people here. So God, you kind of stay over there while we do what we need to do to make that happen. And it's pretty easy to see on a corporate level, right? Like, well, God, we know that you say to talk to people about their sins, but we're trying to have a bigger church here so that we can sing louder and bring you praise. So (laughs) we're not going to. We know that you talk about preaching the gospel and talking about how you died, but that's such a downer, you know. So let's not do that. Because if we grow the church, then it will just be so much better for you and your glory. It's easy to see on a corporate level, but don't you kind of do that like, man, God, I want to have a great family. And I want to have a family that brings you glory and honor. So right now, I'm just going to ignore my family why I work super hard so that we can have enough money to, you know, sit around and and think about you more, God. But right now, I'm not going to worry about my kids. It's like, what? what? Like, if you really want to glorify God, then you'll glorify now and not just later. That's the most important part of this passage. If the goal is to live a life of impact where you glorify God, then you are not going to say, God, I won't glorify now so I can glorify you later. And this is magnified in this story because all David has to do is stick a knife in a guy, something I'm sure he's done thousands of times. He has done thousands of times. He becomes king. He sits on the throne. He returns the nation to obedience. He's able to move God's mission forward on earth. And David says, no chance because the goal is always now and later to bring honor and worship and glory to God. And we do it. We're like, ah, a little shortcut here. It'll get me to my end goal later. Sadly, a lot of Christians don't even have Christian goals, but, but for those of you who do, which I hope is the majority in our church, it's like, well, I could just, I could just take a shortcut now and be better later. And this story first says if you want to live a life of impact, then you always, like everybody who's built an incredible company, you always are moving towards the goal. Not taking little shortcuts that move you off the path towards that goal. If the destination is the swings, you don't stop and look at every leaf. You just walk towards the swings, Hazel. I don't know if she's in here with the kids, but. The ends does not justify the means if your goal is to live a life of impact for the glory, worship, honor of God, then you will do that now and later. You won't go away from it now so that you can do it later, even if doing it later seems better. We see these two other things that are really important for what I've just said, and they're hard, but they factor into that because if you don't have these other attributes of David, then I'm not actually sure that that you can heed the advice that this story lays in front of us to to always move towards the glory of God and and experience and expressing that as we say in our church. And the first is that David is incredibly humble. 
in this story. I mean, the language of the story, you almost you like, hey, man, you might need a counselor because your self-esteem seems a little low. I mean, he comes out and he bows before him and he calls him my Lord, the king. Uh, and, then, and then at the end of it, I don't know if you noticed this, but he's like, who are you chasing when you're chasing me? Am I a dog? I'm just a dog. I'm a dog. I'm a flea. I'm nobody. I am nobody. Why are you out here right now? Now, look, David doesn't lack confidence. We saw in the story of David and Goliath. I mean, the guy, as I've said a couple of times in this series already, he can play the harp and throw a slingshot. He's kind of a big deal in my mind, right? Like, I can throw a ball, but man, you don't want me playing a harp. I'll tell you that. And David can do both. And so this is not a guy that, that, that is like walking around like, woe is me. But he sees himself in light of God, really. That's, that's what humility is. It's not thinking you're an idiot, although we sometimes think that. It's seeing yourself, you know, the way God sees you. And he's like, look, I, I'm not the king. I'm just a guy. Out here running from you, why are you chasing me? The humility is incredible, especially for somebody who's killed a giant, especially for somebody who's already been anointed the future king. He's like, I'm unimportant, Saul. I don't understand what's happening here. And I'll tell you, if you're not humble, and by the way, humility, like I kind of just alluded to, it goes both ways. Like if you're always thinking down on yourself and you're always thinking about yourself, or you're just always thinking high of yourself and how awesome you are, both of these things will not allow you to continue to move towards the destination. Because you'll be like, well, this makes me feel a little better. Oh, and that makes me feel a little better too. You can only keep moving towards the destination if you're humble. You're like, this isn't about me. I know I've mentioned it a couple of times, but the, the same podcast, how I built this, it's so fascinating about those people because they almost, they do, in fact, they like lower themselves, the importance of themselves because they believe in this product so much. Whatever the product is, it's like, yeah, I'll be poor for seven years of my life. Like, I, I won't be able to feed myself, but I believe in this thing so much. And I just wonder, like, if you can believe in an app that has filters so strongly that you're willing to be poor for years in order to have that in every person's hands, how much more should we be willing to do when we believe in a God who has died for us and risen again so that we might have eternal life? And so you must be humble. You must be like, look, this is bigger than me. This is about God. I'm not important. This is about God. It will keep us on the path. And then this other part, and this, is, this goes right along with humility, but it's very, very difficult. David trusts God with his entire life. The, the phraseology at the end of this, at least five times, David says, things to the effect of God will be the one who decides the outcome of this. I mean, he used the word judge, decide, consider, uphold, vindicate, deliver again. I mean, at least five different words to say, I'm not going to do something that doesn't honor God. Part of it is that I'm a nobody, but part of it is that I trust God to do what he's going to do. 
You see, one of the reasons that we can't keep moving towards the goal to impact this world for Jesus, one of the reasons we can't keep moving is because we're like, God, I kind of trust you, but not really. Like, God, well, I think you want me to do this, but I also have to make money. God, I think that I should probably, but I don't know. So I'll do it this way instead. God, I'm half in, but that other half of me needs to, you know, pay the bills and, and be cool and have a social life and all those things. But the people who live the greatest life of impact, they just trust God completely. Like, if you're going to kill me, you're going to kill me. But remember, I can't worship you from the grave. So hopefully you won't. The Apostle Paul, I mean, he just, he just says, like, to die is gain. And if I'm alive, well, I'm alive because I'm still doing ministry. And God wants me to be alive. But if they finally kill me, cool, because I'll be in heaven with God. The people who have impacted my life the most, they just, they frankly are like, yeah, God's got me. And if we're going to be people who say, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to glorify God. I want to live a life of impact. And, and hopefully that will happen as I move forward in life. But I'm going to do it now too. Then it's going to take us saying, it's not about me. It's about something bigger than me. It's about God. And so I'm going to be humble in who I am. But I'm also going to trust God to take care of me. Jesus has this incredible section in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount exactly in the middle but in the sermon on the mount where he talks about not worrying and he says look at the birds and god feeds them and look at the flowers god clothes them it's interesting to me because he said all of these things about bringing glory to god like if somebody hits you turn to them the other cheek too if somebody wants your 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 coat then give them your shirt as well if somebody wants you to to walk a mile with them walk two miles and like well if i do that then I'll die. I'll be cold. Socially, I'll be lower. And then Jesus just pauses and says, look, 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 look. Trust God. And, and so what I, what I think this story is about, in fact, it is. That, that was the longest quotation in the book of 1 Samuel that I just read to you by David. And, and following it is the longest quotation by Saul. This is really about Two men and the differences in their character. And the thing that it says about David's character is that he was unwilling to move away from the path of bringing God glory. Even if it meant he could bring him more glory later. And he was able to do it because he was humble and he trusted God with his entire life. And Saul has this response. I think it's, it's worth reading. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You've treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You've just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. This is like a sincere moment of understanding for Saul. He hasn't actually said David's name in like chapters. He doesn't want to hear David's name. 
And, and now he's like, David, my son. He gets it. And what he gets is, is this difference between him and David. He sees it. You're unwilling to not glorify God even for just a moment. You trust God. You're humble. I'm not. I'm not. He's the opposite, in fact. Got some vibrato. Usually kind of wants to serve God, but eh, not when it doesn't benefit him. Not when it's not the easy thing to do. Hey, I kind of trust God, but when it gets too scary, I'm not going to go out into the battlefield. I mean, he, he has all the differences. Everything I just said is the opposite for Saul, really, in his life. And he looks at David, and, and what he says is, I know you will make a greater impact than I ever made in this country. I think it's important to read his words because, because sometimes it's easy to see in other people they're going to have a greater impact than I am. You know what I mean? Like, look at how humble they are. Look at how much they trust God. Look at how they're unwilling to not be obedient to God in any moment and under every circumstance. They'll live a life of impact. But I just wonder, like, do you want to be David or Saul in the story? Do you want to be the one that thousands of years later people are looking back and saying, that's a life to model? Or do you want to be the one that, that we say, not me, I won't be here, but, but like whoever's here, like they say, that's the life that you don't want to follow. And I think in reading Saul's words, it should inspire us to do all the things we've seen in the life of David. Because why, why didn't Saul, this is the question that's so easy to ask thousands of years later. Why didn't he just get on his knees and say, God, I repent. I'm sorry. I haven't trusted you. I haven't been obedient to you. I've taken shortcuts. I want something better. Use me to raise this kingdom up. I don't know. But that's not what I want for you. I want you to be a person that says, God, I haven't trusted you and I haven't been humble and I've made this life all about me. And because of that, I've, I've wavered from the path of glorifying you. And yeah, I say like, hey, I want to be in heaven and I want to sing God's praises. And yeah, hopefully later in my life, I'll have a godly family that I've raised up in the Lord and hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll grow in you and all that. But today, not so much. I got things. I just hope that, that you'll look at David and Saul and say, I want to be like David. I'm going to make a choice this morning, this week. I'm going to make a choice to be a person that says, ah, it's time. God, humble me. God, help me to trust you so that I can bring you glory both now and later. And then I just want to, I want to read just 1 Samuel 24, 22 because I think like, sweet David, you're awesome. You're going to be king. So David gave Saul, gave his oath to Saul. <laughs> then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. He went back to the cave. And that's the trouble, isn't it? In the day-to-day -day decisions that we make. It's like, well, if I just take a shortcut, I don't have to go back to the cave. I don't have to go back to waiting for something bigger, for something better, to make more of an impact, to do what I really want to do. I could, I, could, I could feel good today. I could, I could do something important today. But David said, I'm not going to 
dishonor God. And he goes right back to the cave. And I know I, just some of you, you are humble. And you do trust God. And you're trying to glorify God. And you feel like you're stuck in a cave. And I just want to encourage you to keep going. Keep living for the glory of God. Keep wanting to honor Him. Keep wanting to worship Him. Because that's the only way that you're going to live an incredible life of impact. I'll close with the words from Psalm 57, 1 through 5. This is a passage that traditionally has been connected to this story. Psalm 142 as well, but I liked Psalm 57, 1 through 5 better. Uh, and, and this, I think, summarizes what we've just said. David's trust in God, his humility that ultimately allows for him to say, I'm going to bring God glory today so that I can bring God glory later. David in Psalm 57, 1 through 5 says, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a church filled up with people who are unwilling, even in, in moments where it seems you've led us right to, the, to places where we could be more successful, where we could do cooler things for you. Even in those moments, God, I pray we'd be a church filled with people who say, my goal is to worship God and I will not stop. I will not move away from that goal even for a moment. God, I want to be a church and, and, and you know this is my desire for church and how we do church and, and the people who are close to me in this church, they know that, that we've tried to build this church saying we're gonna do what God wants us to do, not what the world tells us will work. And I pray that we'll be a church filled with people who have that exact mindset, God. Lord, we want to be a church that does what you want, not what's easiest, not what's, what moves us forward, God, in this world, but a church that does what you want because our goal for eternity is to bring you worship and glory and honor and fame, and we want to do that now, we want to do it now, and we want to do it later, God. God, for, for people sitting in front of me that are Saul. They're like Saul right now. They're half in. They take shortcuts. They really want to praise you, but eh, not this moment because this moment is hard. I pray that you change their hearts and you convict them today and they wouldn't be like Saul who seemed to just dig in deeper, God, every time he turned from you. But I pray instead they would repent. And God, I pray for people in front of me today that are like David, that are humble, that are trying to live for you, that trust you, but they don't see results and they feel like they should be doing more for you, but they're stuck in a cave. I pray that you would encourage them and inspire them to keep going, God, to keep doing what you want, even when it doesn't seem advantageous. And God, I pray 
for people who don't know you at all. And I pray they give their lives to you. Lord, because we see how short-sighted Saul was not living for you, and we see how fulfilled David was even in the midst of a cave. And I want every person that I know and every person that I love and every person that you have created to understand how much joy we can have in you even in the darkness, even in the dinginess of life. So move in people's hearts, God, in the ways uh, that you need to move in people's hearts. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.